My name is John Huggins. I'm chaplain at Barry. Been involved here at Seven Hills for about seven years. <clears throat> it's good to see some of our college students getting back. I think hopefully they're bringing energy with them. Ready or not, here we go. <clears throat> um, I'm going to talk this morning about a theme that I've actually preached on here before at Seven Hills, but it was a few years ago, and it was also the Sunday after Easter, which tends to be like, I mean, no, after Christmas, which tends to be like low attendance Sunday. Uh, here, for the 20 people who were here that morning, three or four years ago, you might recognize this sermon, but you know, maybe there's some fresh life <clears throat> in it, and it's a theme that I feel that I really need personally. I think it's one of those core messages, you know, earlier in the summer, I had to pick one thing from my five things to preach on. So this is the other thing uh, that I want to talk about. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, if you're visiting and it's, it's not great, you know, our, our, the real preacher will be back soon. Uh, so <clears throat> you'll get to... I tried, to... I tried to work in a video clip for Brian's sake just at the last minute, but I couldn't do it. Um... I'm going to talk about this theme. I want to highlight an important biblical theme, trace it a little bit through the Bible. I want us to get a sense of it, celebrate it, and seek to apply it a bit. It's one of the central themes of the Bible and therefore of reality and one of the most important truths in the world. It is this, that God is and desires to be with us. That God desires to have us with him. Uh, This is the most significant thing in the world. God is and desires to be with us, to have us with him. This is the thing that makes all of the difference in the world as well. And when I say that God is with us, I don't mean um, like a celebrity bodyguard, you know, that's always sort of silently in the background, just standing there while we do stupid stuff. You know, we're going to do our stupid stuff, and he'll just stand there and kind of watch over us. Uh, always present like that. I also mean God's not with us like the perpetual pet owner who always has their pet with them. You know what I mean? Uh, and, I, and I mean like uh, useless pets, not useful ones. Like, uh, you know, we have a service dog here. That's a useful uh, dog to have around. You know, people that like let their animals drive with them. You know, down the road, you've seen this. I was sitting at a red light the other day, and there was a person who had their window down and two dogs sitting in the lap with them with their heads out the door. And we thought, this cannot be safe. This is not good. I mean, don't text and drive, and don't let your dogs drive either. (laughs) This is not safe for any of us. Let the dogs stay at home. Okay, so my mom's one of those people on occasion, and... uh, (laughs) The other day, she was in the automatic car wash, and the dog in the lap accidentally pushed the button that rolls down the window. <laughs> and in her panic, she began to push other buttons, and all the windows are going down. You see, this is just dangerous, you know. <clears throat> so God's not with us like the bodyguard or like the perpetual pet. God is with us like a king who is with his people. Always interested in and with them. A parent with their children and a person with their friends. I think all of those analogies are appropriate. And thinking about how God is with us. A king with his people. A parent with his or her children. A person with their friends. If you think about it, 
presence itself is a very powerful thing, is it not? The presence of another person can have, uh, can inspire or create a range of emotions, reactions, and responses, both positive and negative, right? Think, for instance, of how people drive when the police are present versus how people drive when the police are not present, <clears throat> you know. Think about how children act when the teacher is in the room versus when the teacher leaves the room. <clears throat> or how, parent, how children act <laughs> when parents are, in, are present versus when they're not. That presence tends to be powerful, right? Shapes everything about how we think and feel and act. Well, consider this, uh, the presence of a friend when you're going through something that's difficult. How oftentimes that, their very presence makes all the difference in the world. Consider a time in your own life when the presence of another has brought joy to you, um, comfort, strength, life. Sometimes the presence of another person brings us proper perspective on life, reminds us of what's true and good. Someone's presence can sober us, like driving too fast on the road and you see the police. Oh, goodness, I'm going too fast. You sort of wake up in that moment to reality. Well, this is what God's presence is like in some ways. And if that's the case, if God's presence has an effect on us of providing joy and strength in life, what could be more important than that? But how can we really know or trust or have any confidence that God really is with us? And we're not just imagining this, hoping for this. Uh, are wishing for it. Well, I want to look at the theme in Scripture, and uh, one of the things I discovered a few years ago when I was first looking at this theme was how you, I was surprised at how ubiquitous the theme is throughout the Bible. There were times in my own life, you know, when I pray for people and say something like, God be with Ryan as he does what he does today, and you think, I'm this is sort of a lame prayer. You know, I don't know of anything else better to say, so I just say, God be with so-and-so. Uh, and now I think that you're actually saying something very, very significant and important when you pray that. And that might be the most important thing we ever pray for someone. I want to begin by looking at a passage of Scripture in Exodus chapter 3. And it's the moment where God appears to Moses in the form of a burning bush. And it's the bush that's not being consumed, but is aflame with the glory of God. Uh, and I once, I just recently saw, I heard this. I think it's in Irenaeus, is an early church father, who says that what God did for Moses in the burning bush is what God intends to do for the whole world, to make it fully aflame with his glory, but not consumed. <clears throat> I thought that was a beautiful picture. But in this passage, when God appears... To Moses, I want you to look at some of the things he says. This is when the people of Israel are being suppressed, enslaved by the Egyptians, and they're crying out to God. Well, what about those promises? Maybe if they know about them, what are, will you help us? And then God comes to respond, and he says this to Moses. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings 
and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. The first thing I want you to notice about the passage is that it says God has seen their affliction, he has heard their cry, and knows their suffering. Before I say anything else, I just don't want you to miss that. Considering wherever you may be this morning, dealing with whatever you're dealing with, just don't miss that God sees when we are afflicted, that he hears us when we cry and knows our suffering. And he says in this passage, and so I have come, like I'm going to come and do something about it. I'm going to respond to it, what he sees, hears, and knows. The thing I love about this passage, one of the things I love about it, in addition to those things, is that he says, so I have come, I'm going to do something about it. And Moses, this is how I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to send you to go and rescue the people. And Moses' response is predictable. You know, until he got to that point, Moses might be thinking, oh, this is great. (laughs) You see their affliction, you hear, you're going to do something about it. Sweet, awesome. How are you going to do it? I'm going to send you. So wait, 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 wait a second. I didn't want you to do that. I just want you to fix the problem out there. Go fix the problems over there, and I'll rejoice. When God says he set things up from the beginning in a way that he would work through humans in all that he wanted to do on this earth, creating uh, male and female to work together as his image bearers to do the things God wants done on this planet. He says, I'm still continuing that policy by sending you to be the agent of rescue. And so much like we might do if God gives us what seems like an impossible task, we say, well, who am I? I'm not up for the job. I can't do those things. And then God says to Moses, the only thing he needs to know, I will be with you. And this is the promise that makes all the difference, is it not? Well, this is a theme that's found all throughout the Bible, the idea of God being with you. The video clip I wanted to show was actually from the movie version of Prince Caspian, one of C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. There's a scene in which all the bad guy army has come to the shore of the river, and they're about to cross a bridge, and on the other side of the bridge stands Lucy, about 10 years old, all by herself is what it looks like, and she pulls out her little knife... (laughs) And this whole army starts charging at her, and she's standing there, brave as, you, as can be, not afraid, and then out walks Aslan, the lion, right next to her. <laughs> That's why she wasn't afraid, because he was with her, and she knew that this army could not stand up to him, and then he lets out this roar that stops them all in their tracks. And this is you know, this powerful scene of how someone who should have been afraid was not afraid because of who was with them. Well, look at uh, some other passage and where this 
this comes up. One especially is the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. It's actually a repeated theme. All these bad things happen to him where he's sold by his brothers into slavery in Egypt. And even there he gets falsely accused and thrown into prison. And one of the things that the text keeps saying about him is, but the Lord was with him. As if this is going to make a difference. This isn't the end of his story. So look at the passage in Genesis 39.3. This is referring to when... He is enslaved in Potiphar's house. His master saw that the Lord was with him. The result of that was that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed. And then after he's thrown into prison, in verse 21, it says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Much later in the New Testament, when Stephen is reciting accounts from the book of Genesis in Acts chapter 7, he repeats the story of Joseph and remembers that this was one of the defining characteristics of Joseph's story. So he even says, the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. (laughs) It's one of those like, ooh, what's going to happen next if God is with him? In the book of Joshua, God says to Joshua that he will be with him in the same way he was with Moses. See this, just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Of course, this verse is quoted in the book of Hebrews and applied to all of God's people. Again, with reference to Samuel. In the book of 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 19, Samuel grew... I skipped over that one. Let's go to the next one. Maybe I didn't put it in there. Well, this is what it says. Sorry, PowerPoint doesn't always come from here to there. You know, it's my fault. It says, Samuel grew, the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. It says the same of David in 2 Samuel 5. David became greater, for the Lord was with him. And about Solomon in 2 Chronicles, that he was established in his kingdom because God was with him. And made him exceedingly great. You see this? You're probably starting to get tired of hearing it. Um, Don't be yet, because it makes all the difference. Then this Jeremiah passage. Jeremiah is given a tough calling, like most prophets in the Old Testament. This is not a job you would sign up for. This is not the path to celebrity. This is not the path to private jets, you know, and nice cars. I I want your own life to reflect the desolation of the people of Israel. You know, would you like to have that calling? Um, Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Uh, that's powerful. In, verse, in Jeremiah, he says, they will fight against you, but they will not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord. So you might think, so God is with special people, you know, like uh, Joseph and Moses and Joshua and Jeremiah. In Isaiah 43, this promise is given to all of his, the whole people of Israel. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. The flame shall not consume you. Again, in Isaiah 41.10, this is a verse worth committing to memory. Fear not, for I am with you. How many of you need to hear that right now? Maybe you're Uh, on the cusp of a new semester or a big season of life that's difficult 
Or perhaps there's a big need in your life. You need to hear the Lord saying, fear not. I'm with you. Do not be dismayed. I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you and uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's good news, isn't it? Well, this story of God being with his people, which is demonstrated in different ways through the Old Testament, tabernacle, temple, reaches its climax in the person of Jesus. In Matthew's account of the gospel, he bookends his gospel with a statement about God being with us, one at the beginning and one at the very end. At the beginning, in Matthew 1, Matthew cites the passage that says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name. Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then at the very end, the the last verse of Matthew's gospel has Jesus saying to his disciples, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. How is Jesus with us even now? That question is answered in John's gospel, chapter 14, where he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus is with us now in the person of the Holy Spirit. And then the great vision, this is the last passage, the great vision of the future world. The thing that we are anticipating, hoping for, and looking to is in Revelation chapter 21. And notice how it's described. It says, I saw a new heaven, a new earth. This is the renewed cosmos. The first has passed away. The sea was no more. The sea where the evil creatures come from. Evil is no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Like three times in this passage, that's being emphasized. God is with us. He will wipe away every tear. From their eyes. Death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. It's like when we have the fullness of God with us, this will be the result no death, no mourning, because his presence is life giving, life producing forever. And we need God's presence for life. As Christians, we believe that there is no life without it, no life apart from God. And in these passages, we see this this consistent theme of God being with his people such that the psalmist even says, I cannot escape your presence. (laughs) If I go up to heaven, you are there. Into the depths, you are there. Even though sometimes we might like to escape God's presence, especially when we want to do wrong, (laughs) we would like to hide in the darkness, much like a child who wants to get away from their parents so they can do something (laughs) wrong. We sometimes wish God wasn't there. Other times we may feel that we're unworthy of God's presence. Maybe we do have a sense of the blazing holiness that is God's presence and that we are unworthy. And yet, 
The gospel proclaims that God is there nonetheless with his patient presence to love, to help us, to restore us. So God's presence is meant to be a comfort for his people. It's meant to make us strong. As we sang in the very first song today, in your presence we find our strength. It's meant to make us wise and able to stand, able to move forward, to endure. Just like God said to Moses, the only thing you need to know to do what I want you to do is that I will be with you. And the only thing you and I need to know today to move forward into tomorrow is that God will be with us. You know, it's, it's one thing for God to tell us the truth about reality, the truth about himself, the truth about ourselves and about the world. It's another thing for God to choose to be present with us in the midst of those realities. It's an, it's an additional blessing. This is, came home to me one night when my oldest daughter was younger, uh, maybe three years old or so, and she was afraid of the dark um, and going to sleep at bedtime and didn't want me to leave. And so I started to tell her the truth. The truth is, honey, you are safe. There's nothing to be afraid of here. You can go to sleep. Everything will be fine. And even though at some level she knew that was true, her response to me was, but I only feel better when you're with me. And when she said that to me, something in my heart wanted to echo it straight up to God (laughs) and say, I hear your truth. I read it. But I only feel better if I know you are really with me. Some sense of that. So we need truth and we need his presence. Well, we don't just need his presence to make us strong and help us. We certainly do. We also sometimes need his presence to humble us, to sober us to reality, to rebuke us and correct us. I mean, consider the tragic and horrifying actions of humans around the world, both overt and covert, even this weekend. Part of me feels that it's really important to say that this white supremacist movement and ideology that we've seen this weekend is a great evil, that it is wrong and totally at odds with the gospel. And it's very important that white Christians especially say so. In this this case, we need God to silence us, to shut us up and say, look at what you're doing. This is wrong. We need his presence to rebuke us, to bring us to our knees, to wake us up and help us see things from his perspective. We need his presence for sanity and stability. The only way we will be self-giving people who love others, who are life givers to the people around us, is if we're reflecting the fullness of his presence with us. Now, Finally, thinking about this truth, I want to say a word about applying it. Uh, Some people are good at sort of hearing a truth and sort of instantly uh, applying it, sort of saying, oh, okay, God's with us. Great. I feel strong now. You know, (laughs) God is with us. Awesome. I'm comforted now. Uh, God is with us. I'm humbled. Other people find it a little more difficult to apply truth, and we we are not able to simply think our way into uh, being different. 
uh, we need some help. We need to practice a truth. Um, maybe many of you are familiar with this old classic, Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence, a Christian classic that we can recommend. It's a little short read, it's simple uh, piety in some ways, the simple truth of believing, trusting in, and letting God's presence shape your daily life. But one of the ways we practice a truth is we cultivate a habit that helps us be aware of it more and more. Cultivate a habit that helps us be awake to something like God's presence. And for most of us, that's often going to mean silencing uh, the digital distractions so that we can, in a sense, make ourselves available to God. Uh, Cultivating a habit that helps us be aware of His presence, such as prayer, meditative scripture reading, like we're talking about doing as a church and in the community groups. Prayer is one of those ways in which we, as Rowan Williams says, we give God a chance to get at us, to get to us. (laughs) Otherwise, we keep ourselves sort of our attention elsewhere. When we pray, part of prayer is not just sort of going through the grocery list of what we'd like God to do. It's about stopping and making yourself available. Allow God's space to get to you. Now, you might say, well, God is sovereign. He can get to me if he wants to. Yes, he can. But you might not like the ways <laughs> that God will get to you if we don't give him the space to get to us. <clears throat> um, another thing, uh, Rowan Williams is a former Archbishop of Canterbury. Another thing he says about God being present to us is he does so through other people, that God has, in a sense, put himself in our hands. I think that's a powerful statement. That we don't just need to realize this alone in sort of a solitary relationship with God. We need one another because, as we saw in the Moses passage, God works through people to do the things he wants to do in the world. That's what I mean by God having put himself in our hands. That Christian community can become a kind of sacrament. uh, Where God's sacramental presence becomes present to us. By that I mean that God isn't just present to us, but also through us to each other. And the way that God uses sacraments, baptismal water, Eucharistic bread and wine to make himself present to us. He uses us in each other's lives to do the same. So we need Christian community. We need practices of prayer. We need these things to help us become aware of the most important truth in the world, that God is with us. So we are called to this life. And because of the gospel, God has shown us that he's not only with us, but also for us. And that makes all the difference. Let's pray together. Gracious God, I want to pray for this group of people uh, on beginning a new school year, some facing some physical or emotional pain, some facing a hard season in life. Others in here, a big need, or perhaps a big fear. Would you please give us a sense of the truth that we have read that is all throughout the Bible. You are with us and for us, and that will make us strong and wise and humble and able to give, to endure, to persevere. And as we do so, We want to make ourselves available to you. We say, please use our community, our connection group gatherings, our worship gatherings, 
to be a kind of experience of your sacramental presence for each one of us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.